Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to read from verse 24 down through verse number 30. We will read these verses responsively. Uh, I'll begin in verse 24, and then we'll read every other verse together, beginning in verse 25. The Bible says, beginning in verse number 24, Another parable put he, Jesus, forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Together, 25. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, unto him, uh, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Together, verse 30, Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barns. We're in our theme this year, Rooted in Christ. We're looking at a series of sermons entitled Protecting the Sprout. And specifically this morning, we're going to look at the process of purging. The process of purging. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at a very important topic for both the lost and the saved here today, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to take what we hear and allow it to move us. Lord, uh, for a while, we're going to preach to the lost. And the lost here will be challenged to be saved before they're dismissed into hell for all of eternity. But during that time, may the saved take note and listen. May they think of those they know that are lost. And may they be emboldened to share the truth of salvation with them. And then for a while, Lord, we'll preach to the saved. And Lord, when we get to that time, may the saved... uh, Take a serious look and inventory of their heart and their life. And Lord, may we be purged to be better Christians. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. You can be seated. Well, our goal this year is to help each Bible-believing Christian to become productive for their Savior. Give me just a little more volume on my mic, at least here on the platform. That would be a help. To become a strong tree... Uh, Our goal is to help each Christian here to become a strong tree that is planted by the river of water of God's Word that brings forth an abundance of fruit in His season. I want you to picture with me today that you've showed up to a farm and it is time for you to go out with that farmer for the day and you're going to spend the day, if not a few weeks, with that farmer on his field. He puts you uh, onto uh, that tractor or maybe in a farm truck and he drives you to a field that's been left alone for several years. The field is grown over with weeds and thistles and thorns and there are weeds that have begun to develop even into small miniature trees and you two stand at the edge of that field and you look at it together and that farmer looks over at you and he says in a short order this field that's been ignored for years is going to be producing fruit from fruit trees. In short order, we're going to till the soil. We're going to pull up the roots and uh, the old roots. We're going to pull up the rocks and we're going to soften the soil. We're going to get rid of the hard pan and we're going to uh, go through and very carefully, methodically uh, fertilize the soil and make sure the pH is in proper balance. And then we're going to put down seeds and make sure that we get a good root stock of trees. And then as those trees grow, we're going to put pesticides down around to kill uh, all of the weeds and things that grow up. And in the right time, in its season, those 
trees that we plant and that we the field that we purge, the tree that we make sure has a healthy root system and the soil's been prepared and we're going to uh, um, uh, we're going to engraft in different types of fruit on a healthy rootstock and we're going to go into this field in short order, if not uh, in the immediate uh, in two or three seasons, and we're going to begin to pull fruit produce off of these trees in abundance. You stand at a field that is unkept and grown over. And the goal is for that farmer to get that uh, ground to produce fruit. Now, the Bible word for farmer is the word husbandman. Husbandman. It's an old English word. It's a word that's still used by some farmers in some places. And the idea of a husbandman is someone who's been assigned to overlook the farm, to work that farm, to work that field, and to make that field productive. If you are here today and you are a child of God, you are a son or daughter of the King, He looks at you figuratively as though you are a field. Now, the day you got saved, you were that unkept field that was all grown over with thistles and weeds and thorns. The end goal for God or God the Father or the husbandman is that He can eventually one day come to you and begin to pull down the produce off of your tree. What is the produce that the Lord wants to pull off of the tree of your life? Well, they are the fruits of the Spirit we've looked at all year long out of Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Last week we talked about the importance of engrafting all of these things from God's Word into our heart. Uh, I didn't show you the picture last week. I had it cued and forgot to do it. But that tree we looked at in the video, in the introduction, the 40-fruit tree where the tree produces 40 different types of fruit, there is an image of that tree with all of the different colors of the blossoms on that tree at one time. How is it that a Christian can both produce uh, uh, love and joy off the same tree? How can the Christian not only produce love and joy, but then put off the fruit of peace and long-suffering and temperance and meekness and all of the fruits listed there? Well, you can be a tree with the multiple types of emotional fruit if you are in the Word of God and engrafting God's Word into your heart. Not only are we to produce the fruits of the Spirit, we are to produce the fruits of the saint. Turn over with me. Hold your place there, Matthew. Turn over with me to Proverbs chapter number 11. And the, look at the last verse of the chapter with me. Verse number 30. Proverbs chapter number 11. What are the fruits that a Christian is supposed to produce? Well, in time, as we develop and grow, we go from that unkept, overgrown field. Um, uh, second to last verse there. Uh, we become a tree that is planted by the river of water that brings forth fruit in a season. His leaf doesn't wither. Whatsoever he does prospers. Look at Hebrews, uh, rather Proverbs 11, verse 30. It says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Okay, what is the fruit of the righteous? Look at the rest of the verse. And he that winneth souls is wise. That word win means there to persuade or convince. If you are to be a Christian that produces for the Lord, then you are a Christian that is regularly sharing your faith and convincing others to partake in and be involved in your faith. You are someone who goes out and preaches the Word of God to the lost world around you. Now, let me ask a question this morning. We're good, independent, fundamental Baptists here. I'm a Baptist by conviction. Beyond being a Baptist, I'm a Biblicist, and I hold to the Bible. I believe it's God's perfect Word. Now, the Word of God is not politically correct to the culture. There are a lot of things in the Bible that the culture would call hate speech, but here's what I believe. The Bible's right and the political correctness culture is wrong. I just believe that. That makes me hateful and they can label me whatever they want. This book has been around for thousands of years and has stood the test of time. And I'm going to stick by the Bible. I'm going to hold to that. Let me ask a question this morning. Can women be preachers? How many of you say yes? Raise your hand if you think women can be preachers. How many say no, women cannot be preachers? The answer is how you define the word preacher. (laughs) I think those of you that said no are probably defining what I'm doing right now as preaching. Okay, And biblically, no, women can't pastor a church or stand up and lead men 
That's just not biblical. If you don't like that, don't take it up with me. Don't label me a sexist. You can take that up with God, okay? He made you, and if you don't like it, then take that up with Him. But women can be preachers in the sense that they can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around them. I don't care if you're male or female. If you see someone that needs Jesus, you need to go tell them about Jesus. They need to know. I'm going to tell you, that's not always easy to do, but that is the end game for the Christian, not only to produce the fruits of the Spirit, but for you to be reproducing yourself in Christ. If uh, you go pick an apple off a tree and you slice that apple in half, what's on the inside of that apple? Speak to me. What's inside that apple? What are those seeds supposed to do? You all know who Johnny Appleseed is, right? Went all over the all over the uh, Mid Atlantic. They're planting apple seeds everywhere, and and uh, there are thousands and thousands of apples a day still around because of Johnny Appleseed. Every seed contains every apple contains seed. In fact, most every fruit contains seed. And why? Because as you put off fruit for the Savior, that fruit has seeds in it that are meant to help someone else become a Christian. You are to reproduce yourself uh, in others. That's the goal this year, to get you to go from that overgrown, ugly field into a field that is cultivated and cleaned up, producing fruit for the Savior. So methodically, like that farmer who goes uh, with that field, what's the very first thing he does? Well, the very first thing he does is he works to prepare the soil. We this year have figuratively, I hope you're listening to me this morning, we have this year very methodically and carefully gone through the same process in the same order that a farmer would to take a field that is overgrown and, and ignored for years and, and get that ready. We have gone through the same process with your heart this year to get you ready to produce for the Savior. Now, as we began the series this year, some of you were f- much further along the path than others. Others of you were that unkept field. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you've been born anew. Yes, you've put your faith and trust in Christ. But you really haven't done a lot of work to begin that process. So we looked at preparing the soil. Then we moved on and looked at a series of sermons entitled, Planting the Seed. It, just because you have the soil ready doesn't mean that you're going to start producing. After that soil's been prepared, you need to go out into that field and do the work of putting the right seeds in the soil. So we looked at a series of sermons about uh, planting the right seeds. Right now, we are in a series of sermons entitled Protecting the Sprout. So preparing the seed, uh, 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 rather preparing the soil, planting the seed, and now we're looking at protecting the sprout. You're young in your faith. You're beginning to see some evidence. The roots have gone downward. The, 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 the fruit maker is becoming, uh, beginning to become, go, grow upward. What is the process? Well, in this series of protecting the sprout, we have looked at John 15 and talked about abiding in Christ. You must have your branch abiding in the vine of Christ. You cannot produce fruit that is spiritual unless you are connected to the giver of spiritual fruit, and that's Jesus. You cannot produce the fruit for the Savior if you are not tied in to the one who gives fruit uh, and that is the Savior. The Bible says in John fifteen six, Without me, ye can do nothing. Nothing. Too many Christians today, for too long, have tried to produce fruit for the Savior, but they're carnal Monday through Saturday. And they show up on Sunday, and they're figuring out their Sunday school lesson on the way to church. They make their wife drive so they can sit in the passenger seat and figure out what they're studying. And they show up, and they give some half-cooked meal out to everybody. Or they, uh, they're, they're carnal all week long, and they, they, they watch shows on TV that don't please the Lord. And they read things that don't please the Lord. And they talk in ways that don't please the Lord. And then they just can't figure out why they're not producing any fruit for the Savior. Uh, uh, In order for you to produce fruit for the Savior, you must abide in Christ. You must abide in Christ on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. You must make it a habit. You must make it a way of life. It can't just be someone you turn to when times get tough. It must be someone that you are constantly walking with day and night. Let me ask you a question, Christian. If Tuesday at 2 in the afternoon the Holy Spirit moved in your heart to do something, would you be living your life in such a way where you would even know He's trying to speak to you? Or are you so caught up in living your carnal life that the Holy Spirit could be speaking and you wouldn't hear? The Bible says, the Bible says, many are called, but few are chosen. 
Now, why is it that so few are chosen? Can I tell you why? Because the rest aren't listening. The rest aren't listening. Hey, the Holy Spirit's calling, but you can't respond to a message you're not listening for. How many of you have ever been frustrated because you're trying to get hold of someone, uh, you're calling and texting, and they would not answer their phone? Okay, my wife is frustrated with me sometimes over that. Um, occasionally, I've been frustrated with her over that. Uh, yesterday, last night, I went to the store to buy some stuff for lunch today. And I'm standing in the produce aisle. She sent me to buy carrots. We're having roast after church. No, you're not invited. Amen. Um, we're having roast today. And so I'm standing there and I'm trying to figure out, do we want the long carrots or the baby carrots? They're the exact same price. And so I call her. No answer. I send her a text. No answer. So I'll go around the store and get some other things that come back. Call her again. Well, come to find out, she was washing dishes, and her phone was on the other side of the house, so she didn't hear it. Um, it can be frustrating, can't it, when you're trying to get hold of someone, and, um, uh, and they don't answer. You know, God tries to get hold of us regularly, but our spiritual cell phones are put on mute and tucked away, and we don't ever hear Him calling. You can't produce fruit for the Savior if you're not willing to daily abide in Christ. Then we, last week, we looked at the idea of engrafting the eternal word. We talked about how that our roots are in Christ, but we must take the word of God and engraft it onto our way of life so that uh, love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance and these fruits listed in Galatians 5 become who we are. Someone is rude to us and instead of being rude back, we love them. Someone uh, 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 rains on our parade. Maybe we lose our job or we lose our health or our finances take a turn. Some of you play the stock market. And I use the word play because that's really what it is. You play the stock market and you, you pull up your stocks app on your phone and you see that your investments have taken a, a nosedive and you walk around the rest of the day and you're a grouch. Well, the husbandman is coming around and in tough times, he wants to see love, joy, and peace on your tree, not bitterness and anger and wrath on your tree. How does that work? That only works if you are engrafting God's Word into your heart. Well, today, we're going to turn our time and attention to another aspect of spiritual gardening. Uh, I want to put some pictures up for you on the screen. And Joe, if you would just scroll through the ones that are pleasant looking, okay? Uh, maybe three or four seconds on each picture here. Um, here is a flower, some flower gardens that uh, have been well manicured, well taken care of. You see there, that one there? Here comes another one. And, and uh, boy, I would love to just sit in that patch of green and just pray. Look around and just spend time with the Lord. Uh, here's another field that's been well kept. The flowers are very intentional and on purpose. Uh, is there any more? Is that the last one there? Uh, of, the, of the good ones. No, go back. Man, you're ruining my sermon here. You know, that's what I want God to look down and see. I want Him to see the beauty of, of a heart that's a garden of, of beauty. That's what I want Him to see. I could have put pictures up of, a, uh, of an apple orchard or peach orchard or uh, a nectarine orchard or a grape, uh, where grapevines would be that's well manicured and taken care of. You get the idea. Now, let me tell you, um, the Lord has really worked to purge me. That word purge, me, it's the idea of cleaning up by removing that which does not belong. In order for, uh, go back a couple pictures there if you don't mind. Um, yeah, one more. In order for your garden to look that way, can I tell you something? You're pulling a lot of weeds on a regular basis. Now, what is a weed? A weed is anything that you don't want there. Roses can be weeds. Right? Anything you don't want there can be a weed. Now, I, I, I'm going to chase a rabbit for just a moment here, but can I tell you why some of you never develop any fruit spiritually? You're so in tune with your carnal heart that any time evidences of, of, of God's grace begin to grow up in your heart, you treat them like weeds. And your sin pulls them right up. You need to pick and choose what are weeds and what are not weeds. And a weed is anything that doesn't belong, anything that uh, ought not be there that ruins the look that you're going for. 
Now, in my life and heart, I can tell you that God has worked hard to purge the garden of my heart. He is constantly doing a number on me to get this weed out and that weed out. And I love the fact that God has a way of giving you a visual of what it is that He wants to go. Um, uh, 2000, let me think here, 2014. 2014, I got a call from my boss. I, at the time, I was serving as a volunteer assistant pastor down in Hagerstown, Maryland. I was doing some church work. I wasn't being paid for it. Uh, my job that paid the bills, I was a, I was a Landstar, uh, a truck dispatcher. I would get on a computer and I would find truckers and I would find a semi-trailer that needed to be moved and I'd put the two together and I would make sure that trucker got paid and I'd make sure that he had everything he needed. I would set up the pickup time and I would set up the delivery time and boy, it was a whole lot more complicated than you would imagine. And I got a call from my boss one day and business was really slowing down and he called me and he said, um, I worked remotely, he said, um, we just don't have the work to hold on to you anymore. I'm going to have to lay you off. And for about 10 minutes, I didn't have a job. For 10 minutes, I said, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. For about 10 minutes, I was, I, I could feel angst settling in. And I can remember getting down on my knees and saying, Lord, I need a job. And then I remembered, I remembered that friends of mine from the church I had been a part of uh, in suburbia Baltimore, they had a company inspecting homes that were owned by the bank that had been foreclosed on. And so I called up Irene Trammell and I said, Irene, I need a job. I said, I would like to do what you do. She said, it's hard work. I said, I'm a hard worker. Bring it on. And so uh, her husband, Steve, came out and Steve had been a deacon at the church there when I was around there. And Steve took me around and he showed me how to inspect homes that were in foreclosure and homes that had been foreclosed on. And I was paid, uh, let's see, $4 on average for a house where I took pictures of just the outside and $6 for a house I had to go inside of. And boy, I saw all kinds of stuff. You wouldn't believe the stuff people leave behind. I saw, Brother Var, I saw vintage cars that were just abandoned in garages. Um, you would have been drooling, Brother Vara. Uh, I saw, uh, I saw uh, tool sets for mechanics that were worth thousands of dollars. Uh, one home I went into in the middle of uh, New York, upstate New York, uh, uh, was had just been abandoned for years, and I took my brother with me on that trip. There was two and a half feet of snow on the on the ground, and uh, we we would go in in the house, and he found a book on a bookshelf. It was an old Bible, uh, uh, an old Bible in a language I, we, I wouldn't even be able to recognize. He opened it up, and out fell an envelope with hundreds of dollars of cash. And uh, the the policy was they'd come in and they just. When they would clear out a place like that, they would just th- chuck it all in the, in the dumpster. There was no, it was, it was almost a finder's keepers type world. And I needed to pay my brother for helping me on that trip. I didn't have it to pay him. I said, there's your money, buddy. Take that and go. Uh, so he got his payment. But I learned a lot on doing that job. And during the summer when I would do that job, we would come up on homes where there was once a beautiful garden that had been neglected. Go, go to the, the next picture yet, uh, the one that you put up and took, took down. I'd come up to houses that look like this. Now, can you see how that one time had been a pretty garden? No more. It's been neglected. It's overgrown. You know what needs to happen? You know the difference between that one and the picture before it? The one before it's been purged. That one's not been. Go to the next picture. Now, I didn't take this picture, but I took a lot of pictures exactly like it. Can I tell you something? When I was walking around houses like this, taking pictures of the outside, I was looking at the house, yes, to get the right shot. I was doing a lot of looking down at my feet to avoid getting bit by a snake. There was a lot of that. There's a lot of overgrowth. And can I tell you, some of you here today, at one point in your Christian life, you were a beautiful garden producing fruit for the Savior, but you've let things go and you've let things slide. And now you're beginning to have this overgrowth where the evidences of some beauty uh, are still there in your Christian life. And where there was once fruit, there's still signs there, but you have allowed the weeds of sin, you've allowed the weeds of those things that don't please the Lord, to grow up in your garden and you are what I will label a has-been Christian. 
No, it isn't that you lost your salvation. It's just that the best days are behind you. And uh, not the ones you're living in now and not for the future. And the Lord wants you to get into the weeds and purge your garden so you can one day produce again. Age, my friend, is no reason not to produce for the Savior. I knew a man who would go out soul winning every day uh, in his retired years, and then his health began to fail him, and he got to a place where he couldn't go to church. You say, well, what did he do? He got a phone book, and I'm not recommending you do this, but he got a phone book, and he began to just call people through the phone book and say, can I tell you about Jesus? And that man would lead telemarketers to the Lord, and that man would lead strangers to the Lord. He said, I might be locked up in my house, my health might be failing, but I can pray and I can share the gospel and I'm not going to allow my health and my age to stand between me and serving my Savior. I will continue to produce fruit. God has been working to purge the dead works out of me since I got saved. And as I walked around those houses taking those pictures, the Lord was saying to me, He was saying, He was saying, you have some weeds that need to go. And this morning, I would ask you to observe your heart and ask yourself this question, Christian, maybe even a Christian here today that was once very productive for the Lord. What does the garden of your heart look like right now? Here's my proposition this morning. Please listen intently. I propose that God hates sin. He is working to purge or take away all sin from this world. Please listen closely to me. If you die in your sin, if you die unforgiven uh, eternally from your sin, He is going to purge you as a sinner. He will purge you by sending you straight to hell to suffer for your sin. Oh, that's not a popular sermon in 2019. There are plenty of churches that would never word it that way. There are plenty of pastors that would sit me down and tell me to choose my words a little bit different because that's harsh and that's fingers on a chalkboard. But my friend, what the world needs today is not for some preacher to dance around the topic, what the world needs today is for a preacher to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, turn from your sin or you're going to go to hell. You may not like the way that sounds, but my friend, I don't say that to you out of the spirit of meanness or nastiness. I say that to you this morning out of the spirit of compassion and caring for your eternal soul. The last place I want you to go is hell. You say, how could a loving God send someone to hell? God loves you so much He made a way out of hell by crucifying His Son on the cross. And if you're willing to thumb your nose at Jesus, then He's going to send you to hell. God is, God is, is love, but God is also justice. And He will not let you walk all over His justice. To the saved today, He is looking to purge the sin out of your lifestyle. He doesn't want you to continue a life full of sin of the past. He's trying to take that away. Please hear me this morning. God will purge the transgressor or He will purge away your transgressions. If you are a transgressor and you're lost in your sin, God is going to purge you by sending you to hell if you die that way. If you're here today and you are saved, can I tell you God is looking to purge away your trans, uh, transgressions. The sermon today is quite simple. I don't have a long outline. Most of the sermon this morning was introduction. But I do have some very important things to say. And I would like for us this morning to look at two main thoughts on this topic of the process of God's purging of the garden. Number one this morning, I hope you're taking notes. Number one, notice a purging away of sinners. A purging away of sinners. Letter A, notice a comprehensive purge. Turn with me, if you would, hold your place in Matthew 13. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter number 3. Matthew chapter number 3, and look with me at verse number 12. Now, we have this verse also repeated in Luke, word for word, and the the situation here, John the Baptist is preaching. He's the cousin of Jesus, and he's preaching, and they're asking him who he is, if he's the Messiah, and he's telling them, no, I'm not even worthy to tie the Messiah's shoe. Uh, but there comes one that is the Messiah. Look at verse 12, describing the Messiah, or describing Jesus. The Bible says, speaking of Jesus, who, whose fan is in his hand. Look at this next phrase. And he will, what's that next word? Thruly. Read it with me. Thruly. He will thruly purge his floor. Or thoroughly would be our, our modern day English word. He will thoroughly 
purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn uh, burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Uh, he, the Bible says here that, that God, or rather Jesus, is going to thoroughly or throughly purge his floor. There are people today who say, I can sin and get away with it. I can sin and no one will know. I can look over my shoulder and see if anyone is watching me and, and I can hide my sin. I can cover my sin. My wife won't find out. My husband won't find out. My kids won't find out. My boss won't find out. The pastor won't find out. The deacons won't find out. My Sunday school teacher won't find out. It's all good. I have my tracks covered and no one's going to know. My friend is the Lord knows about your sin. You can look to the left and the right. You can look in front of you. You can look behind you. But don't forget to look up. Don't forget to look up. God sees and He knows all. It's a comprehensive purge. There are those that think somehow that they can escape death. Have you noticed how many people in today's day and time claim to be atheists? Have you noticed this? So many people say, I don't believe there's a God. I find it really fascinating that some man sits down and writes a fantasy book or a fairy tale book entitled Origin of the Species, something he made up out of his head, something that just came from nowhere. The man would write the book and it's as much a truth as Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. There's no truth to it. It's a it's a fantasy book. And people take it and run with it and teach it as though it's truth in the public school. Now, why is it? Listen, the world does not scream that it's millions and billions of years old. The earth screams that it's thousands of years old. Uh, listen, uh, uh, no one looks at a painting of the Mona Lisa and says, boy, I wonder where the bomb went off in the paint factory that created this. Why is it that we step outside and we look at a universe that's in complete and perfect order, where things are timed? Uh, how do you go outside on a starry night and look up and see uh, constellations where the stars are light years and light years apart, and they form perfect shapes, and step back and go, wow, that was quite an explosion that created that. The heavens declare the glory of God. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Why is it that people want to believe that God does not exist? I I believe there are a couple of reasons for it, and I don't believe they're all maniacal, but can I tell you one reason that uh, many folks today want to excuse the existence of God is because they are living a perverse and a very dirty lifestyle, and the idea of standing in front of God one day and giving an account for their life scares them, and so instead of cleaning up their life, they dismiss the God they would have to answer to. My friend, today you can claim that there is no God, but the God who created you, He put inside of you a knowledge to know that there is a God and you have to on purpose dismiss Him. And you can try to write Him off as existing. You can try to pretend He's not there. But the Bible says in Philippians 2 that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the glory of God the Father. You can't escape it. You can try. You can push. You can pretend. You can play your own little fantasy world that God does not exist. There will come a day where God looks down at the souls of men and He puts them into two groups, the saved and the lost. And the question today for you is this, which camp are you going to be in? It's a comprehensive purge that no one will avoid. Let her be noticed, it's a consequential consequential purge. A consequential purge. We looked at Matthew 13 24 through 30. Go back there with me if you would. Look with me at verse uh, number 29. Now here, the story is, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like to a man uh, who goes out and sows a, a wheat field. And at nighttime, while the farmer is sleeping, the enemy goes in and he sows tares among the wheat. Now, when wheat and tares grow up, they look identical. You can't tell the difference. One is chaff and produces no substantial fruit or no wheat, the, uh, but they both look alike. And those who keep his field say to the, uh, the, the, the husbandmen, they say, what should we do? And he says, let them both grow to harvest. In the day that we harvest the field, we'll put the wheat into the garner, we'll put the chaff, we'll bind up the chaff or the tares, and we'll throw them into the fire. Look at verse number 29. You there? You with me this morning? Say amen. Verse 29, but he said, nay, lest 
While ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let, uh, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. What is this verse talking about? Verse 30, it makes it very clear that the purging away of humanity, those who die in their sin will be bound together and tossed into hell. Those who die having their sins forgiven, they will be put into the garner of heaven. They will spend eternity with God. The word purgatory, which is a Catholic doctrine, the word purgatory comes from the root word purge. And the idea of the Catholic doctrine of purgatory is that if you die and you're not quite ready for heaven, you will go to a holding place between heaven and hell. And in that holding place, you will have the sins purged out of your person and prepare you to go to heaven. Can I tell you, my friend, that in the King James authorized Bible that I hold in my hand, the word purgatory cannot be found in here. There is no purgatory. How does God purge sin? If you die in your sin, He will purge your sin by sending you to hell. Now, I know that may not sound good. I may know you may not like that. And there are religious people such as Charles Taz Russell who invented the Jehovah's Witness religion. I say he invented it because it hasn't always been around. And the man invented the religion. He rewrote the Bible and wrote hell right out of the Bible because he was afraid of it. Can I tell you, hell is a literal place. Turn over to Revelation chapter number 20 with me in your Bible. Revelation chapter 20, we find exactly how this will play out. We come to the end of the world. The millennial reign of Christ has happened. Uh, Satan has been released a second time out of uh, his holding place. And he's deceived the nations one more time. And the fire of God has fallen out of heaven and consumed the Satan and his army. Jesus then sets up what the Bible calls a great white Throne judgment. Why is the throne that Jesus sits on white? Well, it's white because it's made out of ivory. And from that throne flows a river of life to those who are saved. And the lost of the world are going to come and stand before Him and give an account for the sin of their life. And not one will escape. Look with me at Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 11. The Bible says, And I saw a great white throne, and Him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Look here at how comprehensive this is. And, uh, uh, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of, uh, out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. Look at verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. My friend, uh, you will one day face God. And if you have not confessed the sins of your life, the books will be open against you. You say, Pastor, what are the books that are open here? There are three books that are going to be open at the great white throne judgment. The Bible is one of the books. It is the law that's been given to us, that's told us right from wrong, and how to reconcile with God. You must choose to reconcile with God before it's eternally too late. The second book that will be open is the book that pertains to you as an individual. Inside that book or books, there will be the volume of the sins that you've committed in your life. Yesterday I stood on the porch of Jonathan, a Puerto Rican man in Stratford, and I asked Jonathan, I said, where are you going when you die? He said, I'm going to heaven. I said, uh, if you stood at the gate of heaven and God were to say to you, why should I let you in? What would you tell him? He said, well, I've tried to live my life to be a pretty good person. Can I tell you that a few minutes later, Jonathan bowed his head and he prayed and received Christ as a Savior. He realized that while he's done some good works in his life, he's also committed a lot of sin in his life. What if we were to, I want to ask, I want you to think this through as you as an individual. What if we were to take every sin you've ever committed in your life and write them in a book? Let's say we typed them into a book and we chose font size 10. How thick would that book be? Someone just said the Library of Congress. Can I tell you that'd be me? 
You really think you're going to stand in front of a holy God who's never committed a single sin and say, well, I've been a pretty good person. He's going to say, keep on bringing the books. Come on, keep bringing them out. There's going to be stacks of books with your sins in them. God's going to look at you and say, now bring out the book of my sin. Oh, wait a minute, there isn't one. Come again about you being a good person. Come again with that. The books are going to be open, and it's going to be the Bible, which has told you right and wrong. It's going to be the books of your sin, and then it's going to be the book of life. Now, the beautiful thing about the book of life, I hope you're listening right now. Everybody listening, say amen if you're listening. The beautiful thing about the book of life is that if your name is there, then the books of the sin of your life disappear. Now, how do you get your name in the book of life? You must come to the cross of Jesus. You must realize that God hates your sin, but He loves you. And He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to cast the books of your sin over His shoulder to never turn around and look. He wants to bury them in the deepest sea. He wants to cast them as far as the east is from the west. And by the way, if you travel east, you never meet the west. He wants them to disappear. And how does He do that? Well, that's exactly why He sent Jesus to the cross because He wants to purge away the sins off your record. You must come to Him. You must confess your sins. You must ask Him, put your faith in Him, and believe in Him. Now, confessing your sin uh, isn't necessarily a part of salvation, but you must realize that your sin has separated you from a holy God. You must come to Him with a heart of faith, and you must believe that He died for your sins on that cross. And I would say to you today, if you haven't done that, I would do that before you die, because once you die, it's too late. A purging away of sinners. There will be a day where the Lord purges away sinners. Number two, let me speak a few minutes to those of you that have had your sins forgiven. And notice, a purging within the saved. A purging within the saved. Letter A, notice our responsibility to self-purge. Turn over with me. Let's look at a few passages. Turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7. If you're here today and you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, I don't preach hard because I hate you. I don't preach hard because I'm angry. I don't preach with an angry spirit. If I've come across with a mean spirit or angry spirit, I'm sorry. I preach with an urgent spirit. Listen, if I came home uh, from uh, work and I looked over my neighbor's roof was on fire and he was inside having dinner with his family, there would be a sense of urgency about how I went and told my neighbor to get out of that house. I wouldn't care if it offended him. I wouldn't care if he hated me at that moment. I wouldn't care if he cussed me out. I'd grab him by the ear. I'd drag him outside and I'd say, Look, buddy, your roof is on fire. Get your family out. And he'd look at me and say, Thank you. Thank you for beating on my door till I came to it. Thank you for inconveniencing me. I don't come to you today uh, 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 raising my voice and screaming and hollering and, and preaching with passion because I hate you. I'll, quite the opposite. I preach that way to you this morning because I don't want you and your soul to be drugged to the portals of eternity and thrown into hell. And I hope today you'll wake up and see if you've not put your faith and trust in Christ that you need to do that. By the way, I believe that there are some people in this room right here. I hope you're listening intently. I believe there are some people in this room right here. I know your name and you know my name. There are some of you in this room that uh, I think that you're saved, but look deep down inside, you know you're not. There, there, there are people, I guarantee you, there are people that have their names on this church's membership role that will go to hell one day. I think we're going to get to heaven and be shocked at some of the people that go to hell. Boy, you know how to carry your Bible. You know how to get all dressed up for church. You know how to look the part and talk the part. But deep down inside, you know that you are a fraud and a phony and you need to get your heart right with God. You need to confess your sin and come to Him. Some of you here today go to church because your parents took you to church. Some of you here today, uh, you go to church because that's what you've done for 20 or 30 years. Some of you go to church because you're trying to impress someone or find some country club type atmosphere you can be a part of that's free. And I'm here today to tell you that just because your name is on the membership roll of White Oak Baptist Church, being a Baptist has gotten nobody into heaven. And God is not going to open up the membership role in heaven to see if you get in. He's going to open up the book of life. You need to make sure that you put your faith in Jesus. Some of you here today say, Pastor, I can't do that. I'd be embarrassed. Listen, I wouldn't let a single person keep me out of heaven. 
If you came down this altar this morning and you got saved, every single person in this room would rejoice with you. And if they don't, God help their sorry soul. Don't you let anybody send you to hell. There are too many Christians playing games in Baptist churches around this country. And I feel led by the Lord to stay on this right here. I've got more notes and more things to preach, and I know what time it is, but it's more important this morning that those under the sound of my voice quit playing games with God, and they put their faith in Jesus to save them. You've heard the message till it's grown tired in your ears. And I'm here today to tell you, don't get tired of the gospel. Some of you have heard it so many times, it goes in one ear and out the other. You've heard me preach the gospel so many times, you heard Pastor Pezlak preach it, some of you have been around long enough, where you may have even heard Pastor Brown preach it, and you've heard guest preachers preach it, and you've sat through invitation after invitation, and the Holy Spirit's moved, and you've neglected, and you've ignored, and you've neglected, and you've deflected, and you've ignored, and listen, the day's going to come where you draw your last breath on this earth, and you have lost your chance to make peace with God. My friend, I promise you hell is just as real as room we're sitting in right now. I promise you there are people who sat on pews in Baptist churches for years and are there right now. I promise you there are children that were born and raised in Christian homes with godly parents that went to Sunday school from the time they were a knee-high to a grasshopper. They turned 18. They ran from the Lord. They ran from church because they never actually got saved. I promise you there are folks like that falling through hell right now who would wish they had reconciled with God. And I promise you one day that it will be a complete purge. And it will be a consequential purge. And you will face the wrath of God if you don't put your faith in His grace. Don't you walk out of here this morning not having done that. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Are you there this morning? The Bible says this about the Christian. It says, purge out therefore the old leaven. Notice the command for us to purge out the old leaven. That ye may be a new lump. As ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. In the Bible, leaven is a picture of sin. In the Bible, now it isn't a sin to eat bread with leaven in it, but it is a symbol of sin. I love a good yeast roll, like the next guy. Uh, But uh, leaven in the Bible represents the sin in the heart of the Christian. Part of the reason when we take the Lord's Supper there's no leaven in the bread is because there was no sin in our Savior. When He died on the cross, He went to the cross perfect and whole and became our sin. Now, uh, we're told that we are to purge out the old leaven. Turn with me in your Bible uh, over, uh, uh, let's see here, uh, over to first, uh, Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter number 2. Look with me at verse number, let's begin in verse number 21, then we'll look at the verses around it. Again, this is talking about how we are, we have a responsibility to walk through the garden of our heart and to pull up the weeds that are stealing away the nutrients from the tree that God wants us to be, that fruit tree that God wants us to be. Now, Paul here is speaking to his preacher boy who's a pastor, Pastor Timothy, and he says in verse 21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. How is it that a man can be a vessel of honor, a a tree that is productive uh, unto every good work? Well, he must purge himself from these. Well, what are the things he's talking about? What is it that as a Christian man, I am to purge from me? Now, not just as a man, but as a Christian, what things am I supposed to purge? Let me give you two thoughts here. Uh, now, back up with me at verse number 16 and notice we are to uh, purge the weeds of bad language. Look at verse number 16. But shun or put away uh, or turn away from profane and vain babblings. For they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word uh, will eat as doth a canker. And that's a, that, that is a, that is a worm that eats away at a root system. Of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart, depart from iniquity. 
But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel in honor. What are we to purge ourselves from? From vain and profane babblings. Now, this is speaking specifically of false doctrine being sown in the church uh, uh, by these two men and the false doctrine that the resurrection or the rapture has already happened. That was the false doctrine being sown here. And what he's saying here is there is language, false doctrine, that can hurt you and can overcome you. Now, uh, specifically, the apple, or rather the interpretation of the passage is uh, uh, vain and profane babblings of bad doctrine or bad teachings. But can I tell you today that as Christians, we need to look down inside at our heart, at our root system. We need to look at the weeds that are growing up in our garden. And we need to ask ourselves this question. Are there the weeds of bad language that are hurting me? Hey, listen. You may think it's funny to drop a cuss word when you're around your buddies outside of church. That doesn't please the Lord. While I'm on this, I just want to make sure I make this really clear. I hope everyone's listening to me this morning. I have bit my tongue. And I'm not trying to be mean to anybody, okay? I'm just trying to stand up for my God. I have bit my tongue around many of you in the room. Be very careful how you use God's name. You listening to me right now? The phrase, oh my God, should never be uttered from a Christian's mouth. Do you understand that the Hebrew word for God or Yahweh, when the men would write that word down, they would get a new pen, they would get new clothing, they would bathe, they would then get dressed, get that new pen, write the word down, go and bathe again, and then come back and finish writing out the scroll. Because they honored the name of God in such a way, they didn't even want to write His name down without having first sanctified their flesh. And Christians just flip that name around like it's nothing. I'm going to take it a step further. Now, this is a standard, not a conviction. I don't know that this is a sin. But I've got to tell you, it's like fingers on a chalkboard to me. The phrase, oh my gosh. You're, you're, two, you're, you're one letter away from taking God's name in vain. Why do you want to walk up that close to the line? I've I got to tell you this. Now, I'm not saying that this needs to be your standard. The other day, I said the phrase, oh my goodness. And the Spirit of God pinched me on the inside and said, where does that goodness come from? Why are you saying that so carelessly? I've gotten to a place now where all I say is, oh my. I'm afraid to attach anything next to that that would be attached to God. Oh, and Lord help us if anyone here puts a curse word next to God's name. That's flat-out blasphemy. Bad language. The weeds of bad language that suck that up. Listen, I'm not just asking you to be careful when you're around me. I'm asking you to be careful for the sake of God. Look, if I was God in heaven and people walk around saying, Oh my God, oh my God, I would want to send a lightning bolt out of my finger and drop them dead. That's my name. Why don't I walk around and say your mom's name that way? Oh my Sarah. Oh my Julie. Is that that what we ought to do? Now, now, there's more ways to take God's name in vain than that way. But it's such an important thing to God. He put it on the top ten. We had to be careful. Pulling up the, the, the language, pulling up the weeds of bad language. I'm not just talking about cursing or taking God's name in vain. I'm also talking about complaining. And this is what I talked to my Sunday school class about today. This is an area I struggle with. Murmuring. Uh, 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 gossiping. Listen, uh, do you know that there are more ways to use bad language than just what comes out of your mouth? How many of you here have some sort of social media? Will you hold up your hand? You have some sort of social media? Do you know what a lot of social media is? It's gossip. The happiest day of my life was the day I deleted my Facebook account. Now, I'm not telling you you have to do that. Can I tell you something? This is me speaking personally. My wife has a Facebook account, and uh, and she's careful with it, and, and so I'm not 100% against it. But can I tell you something? I haven't regretted one moment deleting my Facebook. Two, I hate Facebook. You know how many times people in this church have taken to Facebook to attack me? People take screenshots and send me what's been said about me on Facebook. Not always directly, because some of you are too much of a coward to call call me out by name. So you take an indirect shot at me. Listen, if you have a problem with me, the Bible says you're supposed to come to me. 
directly. My office door is open. I'll talk to you. You don't like something I preach or something I say or a decision I make as the pastor of the church? That's okay. I don't like, I don't like all the decisions I make either. I don't agree with everything I say. You come talk to me about it. Don't you get on Facebook or rip me or anybody else. God only has to get in the head so many times in a platform where he just begins to hate that platform. I hate Facebook. And I don't see really any reason why a Christian ought to be on it. It's a waste of time. Now, if you're on it, you're on it. That's okay. But you make sure you control that thing and you don't let that thing control you. You make sure you use that to be an encouragement to you, not to take it down. Listen, I'm on a roll this morning and I just want to just put it right down there where you live. We, we, we okay this morning? We all right? The weeds of bad language. Notice the weeds of sinful living. The weeds of sinful living. Look at verse 21 with me, Second Timothy 2. It says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Look at verse 22. We see here the weeds of bad living or sinful living. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach Patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preventure will give them repentance uh, 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 to the according uh, acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who were taken captive by him at his will. We must get down into the garden of our hearts, and we must purge out the weeds of sinful living. Some of you here today have a habit in your life where the the roots run down really deep. And some of you in here I know, you've been in the garden and you have exhausted yourself trying to pull up those roots. And you've pulled and pulled and they snap and they grow back up and you're, you're frustrated and you've tried putting the pesticide of God's Word and it's not totally taking it away. And you want to give up. You have music habits and you have uh, 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 drug habits and you have language habits and, and, and you have uh, uh, pride habits and you have lying habits. And you say, Pastor, I'm working at it, but it's hard and I want to give up. And I would say, don't give up the fight. Get down in there and keep pulling. One day that will come up. One day that root will disappear. One day God's going to give you victory. Don't give up the fight. We're called to purge ourselves. A purge within the saved, our responsibility, letter B, and I finish, notice, our reinforcement in purging. Our reinforcement in purging. About the time that you're ready to give up the, the fight of, of purging away your sin, purging away those weeds. And I haven't even touched on uh, weeds that aren't sin. Sometimes things that aren't even sinful can take up the nutrients of our soil. Uh, for me, in my life, that's been sports at times and uh, other hobbies of mine that I've had where they're not sinful, but they're a distraction. I didn't get into that, and I won't do that this morning. But I'll tell you this, there are times where I've worked the garden of my heart trying to remove these sinful habits and these problems that have plagued me and stolen away from my tree and, 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 and endangered that, that sprout, that, that, that tree that's growing, that young tree that's growing. And, and I've had to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I really can't do this. You need to come alongside of me and put your powerful hands on my weak hands and let's do this together. Turn over to Psalm 65 and verse number 3. We're going to rush through these verses. I'm going to make a couple of, of, of closing comments and we'll be done here soon. I know I've gone longer than normal, but I feel like a lot of what's been said this morning has been needed to be said. Psalm chapter 65 and verse number 3. Can we read that out loud together? Here we go. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 14. If you have your place still in 2 Timothy, it would be just a couple of pages there to the right. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 14. I love this verse here. It says, How much more shall the blood of Christ to through the eternal Spirit, offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Part of the reason why you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you is not so you can stand up and do something sensational such as speak in tongues. The reason why the Lord gave you the Spirit of God uh, is one of many reasons, but one of them is to purge away the dead works, that root system, those weeds that are stealing up the nutrients of, of your heart. Let's look at one more verse here this evening, uh, this morning, rather. Proverbs chapter 16 
and verse number 6. Proverbs 16 and verse number 6. The Bible says, I'll begin reading when I get there. Uh, it says, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. Mercy and truth. The Lord takes a balanced approach with us when it comes to removing these dead works. How does He do it? How does He purge away our transgression? Sometimes He shows us mercy in a tough time. Other times He comes along and He shows us truth. But He always chastises us with a spirit of love. Because He loves us. You notice what the rest of that verse said? Look back at, uh, at, look, look back at the rest of the verse. It says there, the second half of the verse, And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. You get to a place where you truly fear God, that's when you're going to walk away from those habits. If you here today are struggling with a sin habit in your life, you need to stop and ask yourself this question, Do I truly fear the Lord? Because when you learn to fear the Lord, you will depart from evil. That is just a natural thing that will happen. This morning, I want to finish the message with a strong appeal to the lost. To the Savior this morning, you know that it's time for you to purge away some things in your life. I hope the Lord has showed you something today that needs to go. Some of you here today have known what needs to go. You've just kind of given up doing it. Well, you get back to the fight of doing that. To those of you here today that are lost, whether everyone in this room thinks you're saved or not, whether everyone here knows your name or you're a first-time visitor, can I tell you, do not delay another minute. There will be a great white throne judgment. And if you are not saved, you will stand there. And you will look God in the eye. And the books of your sin will be exposed. You'll be drugged to the portals of eternity and thrown into hell. Why would you do that when Jesus has died on the cross for you? Why would you do that when He has made a way for you to get to heaven? The only thing that keeps a person from going to heaven is their own selfish pride. Humble your heart. Put your faith in Jesus. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord, would you help us today to heed to what's been preached? Lord, you're working hard to purge away the transgressions out of my heart as a saved man, just as you are many that are here. There is somebody here, Lord, that is in danger of being purged into hell because they will not turn to you for salvation. Lord, today would you help those that are not saved to put down their hands, to quit fighting, to submit their heart and humble their heart. Holy Spirit of God, I beg you to move in this room right now. Lord, I pray for the one that you're working on, that heart door that you're knocking on. May they not resist this time. Oh Lord, how I fear that for somebody, this may be the last time that you knock on their heart door. Lord, how I fear that your patience may run up with them if they don't accept you. How many here this morning would say, Pastor, I heard your message. There is no question in my heart that my salvation is as sincere as could be. I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save me. If that's you, would you hold up your hand? I know that I'm saved. I know that I've put my faith in Jesus. Would you hold up your hand? You can put them down. Hey, listen, this morning, let's, let's not play games with God. He can look right past the hand and He can see your heart. He knows whether or not you're on your way to heaven or hell. The beautiful thing about God is that He loves you so much, He killed His Son to save your soul. All He asks is that you humbly come to Him and receive that. How many here today say, Pastor, if I were to die right now, I don't know that I would be saved. Pastor, would you please pray for me? If that's you, would you slip up your hand right where you are? Don't delay. Is there one, Pastor? I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that I've put my faith and trust. I see one hand. I appreciate your honesty, sir. Is there another? I see a second hand. How about it today, church member? Are you really saved? I'm not trying to get you to question your salvation. I'm trying to get you to be honest with yourself. Have you really put your faith and trust in Christ? Can you look back in a moment where you did believe in Jesus? To the two hands that were raised, will you just look up here at me for a minute? No one else is looking, it's just the three of us. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that He died on the cross and He became your sin. He suffered hell so that you could become His child. 
All you need to do is turn to Him with a childlike faith. Trust, dependence. Put that faith in Jesus to save you. Right where you're sitting there right now, all you need to do is bow your head and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I deserve to go to hell for my sin. I know you died for me. Will you take away my sins? Will you give me eternal life? If you'll do that right where you are, the Bible says thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 13, listen closely. For whosoever, that's anybody, that's you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right where you are, if you'll call on his name in prayer and ask him to take away your sins and put your faith in him, he'll save you. There are no magic set of words. God's not looking as much for a set of words as he is your faith in the expression of that. So right where you are, if the two of you would just bow your head and on your own call on the name of the Lord to take away your sin. After the service, I hope I get a chance to shake your hand and talk to you about that. For the rest of you here today, how many say, Pastor, the Lord is working in my heart. He's revealed something in my heart that's taking up the soil, that's taking up the nutrients of the soil. Something in my heart, the Lord put his finger on, that needs to be purged. I've been passive toward it, but today I'm going to commit to self-purge those sins away. I'm going to commit to rely on the Spirit to help me. Pastor, the Lord showed me something. Here's my hand. Will you pray for me, Pastor? The Lord showed me something that needs to go. There's something that needs to go. Don't hesitate. If the Lord's working on your heart, you can raise that hand. Whether it's a prideful spirit, a complaining spirit, whether it's your language or your lifestyle, there's something that needs to go. Lord, I pray this morning you'd move in a special way. Thank you for those that have heard the gospel and are tender toward it. May they not leave here today till they've put their faith and trust in you to save them. Do a work amongst our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet.